We do have a ton to get through in this episode. Common sense is finally prevailing. There was controversy this month, Dave. I'm not particularly excited by that. Secrets and things on set. I haven't told them anything. I think this is just good times all round. Every Doctor Who is liked by somebody and that's a really good thing. Davo, my Doctor. I know we disagree on this one. First world problems, Dave. I get why fans are asking those questions. Oh gosh, that's actually quite a lot to talk about. It doesn't compute. It's the elephant in the room. That's okay. Fandom versus the BBC. The cardinal sin. Moving along. Lunch. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who show. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And we are here for the month of March. Yes. The Ides of March have passed. The Ides of March have passed. St. Patrick's Day has passed. We are ready to do our Doctor Who show. How are you, Rob? I am very well, Dave. I believe you're in our nation's capital tonight. I am in our nation's capital, which has been mentioned in at least two Doctor Who stories that I can think of. Very good. Um, listeners, tweet us if you know which two they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, no, thank you for rolling with me on our recording night. It's always a little bit weird when I'm up in Canberra and I have to send you messages like, I can't do Wednesday, I'm having dinner with the Lithuanian ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> and feel and feel very self-conscious saying things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I won't name names, but the other day I passed a comment to you about something. You said, oh, yes, I was just talking to mm about that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes, that's true. Yes, I was name dropping in a bit, but I, I literally was having that conversation. So It's pretty wild. Yes. So I'm here in a hotel in Canberra. You are in your normal abode in Doctor Who show headquarters. Yes. And uh, we are here... To do something I'm I'm very, very interested in because mm-hmm. our episode tonight is titled The Ultimate Jodie Whittaker Cold Take. Yes. And this all came about because, Rob, you and I had the conversation where we said, look, the Jodie Whittaker-Chris Chibnall era has ended. Mm-hmm. We have done many, many hot takes where we've talked about each individual episode and special right there, sometimes literally minutes after we finished watching it. So you, we've had lots of red hot takes, mm-hmm. but we haven't sat back and done a bit of a consolidation of the era and a look back at the era. Mm. And then we realised that neither of us had actually gone back and rewatched any of the era. Not one. So, not one, which I think is... Look, look, I won't go into why that might be, but, but mm. it was an interesting thing. So we said, well, let's each watch some of the era and see what we think of it now that it's much, much colder. Now we have all these episodes in the context of the entire era, mm-hmm. in the context in which they were shown. We're not we're not watching it, trying to work out what's going to happen next and <laughs> what does this mean for the series and what does this mean for Jodie Whittaker's Doctor. We're just, we're just watching them. Mm-hmm. And look, we'll talk about this more when we get to our main topic, but we've approached it in different ways. We have done some rewatching. We have lots of comments. But uh, I'm genuinely interested to find out what you thought of some of these episodes looking back nice and cold. Yeah, I'll say, because the hot take concept, you know, some people can say, well, that's it's dangerous because you're just reacting, you're running on emotions. And and that's true sometimes. You, you, you see something for the first time and you react for better or worse. Absolutely. And people say, you know, there, there may be a better way. But I think they're valuable because they are capturing that first rush of emotions and the first thoughts that come into your head i love doing the hot takes but conversely once you sit where we are now and do a a cold take it's a whole different ball game i've found and we've always been very honest that we know that in a hot take we're going to miss things that we're approaching in a certain way it Mm -hmm. it is is a very 
flawed process to do an assessment of an episode, but it is, as you say, a genuine reaction straight there, you know, in the way that we as fans are thinking. So, yeah. So, yeah, this is going to be very different and we're going to be looking back. But we have a few things to talk about first. I do need to mention that since we last spoke, I have bought my ticket to the Sirens of Audio convention in Sydney in May with Mm -hmm. Sophie Aldred. And I wasn't able to get to the Janet Fielding event. I I have to work that day, actually. But I understand at the time we record, Janet is in the country and, in fact, has been chatting to you on Twitter, I saw. Yes, she's now following the Doctor Who show feed on Twitter. I don't know how that came up, but she does. And she retweets us and she talks to us. And it's it's a lovely thing. It absolutely is. So, look, if you are somebody who is in Australia, particularly on the East Coast, they're doing events in Hobart, Sydney, Brisbane, with various different companions over the next four to six weeks, go and check out the Sirens of Audio website and uh, have a look. They're, they're, they're very well-priced. Uh, the organisers there are very keen to do old-school run by the fans, for the fans type of end. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite excited to get along to one. Yeah, and I'll say my mate uh, Rob McKnight, who I used to be in the local Time Flight Club with, he's now a, a media personality, does a lot of radio up in Brisbane at present. He has interviewed Janet in the last few days. And in that interview, which Sirens of Audio are now using as promotional material, he mentions that the Brisbane event is 150 people max. So it is a very small event versus, say, a, a Supernova or an Oz Comic Con or something like that. 150 is tiny. Dave. Yeah, absolutely. So there'll be that chance to actually hear from the guests, to meet the guests, get your autographs, all the rest of it. So look, Mm. enough of a plug. Um, I'm going and hopefully I'll see some of you there. Absolutely. Moving on to the news, things have quietened down a bit as far as the main show is concerned. I think there was that rush of news when they were doing their filming and now they've gone away a bit and I think we'll start to get that that build up of properly announced news as we get towards Mm. the next season coming out but we are now getting a lot more speculation about the spin-offs RTD is known for his Mm. spin-offs back in the day he had the Sarah Jane adventures and Totally Who and Torchwood and all the rest of it so we know that that's the kind of universe he wants to build we know that he's got the money to do it And the Radio Times, amongst other sources, are speculating that they are going to be doing a unit spin-off. Uh, if I can quote from one article, the reported unit spin-off is currently being envisaged as a Torchwood-style offshoot of the main show. A key part of Torchwood's success was seeing characters and monsters from the main show crossover, and this could definitely happen again. Mm. Uh, what's your reaction to this, Rob? Well, there are two reactions, really. One is that unit has never been well done in the modern era of Doctor Who. So there's there's a worry straight off the bat. The other is, though, you know, that when they invoke something like Torchwood, you think, well, a more mature unit story, could we be moving into Spook's territory? Could we be into that kind of drama? Because that was a very good show that I really enjoyed. Could it become something in its own right with a, a little bit more of an adult feel that, that's very good? something that's not a childish monster of the week thing like maybe the Sarah Jane adventures were pitched at a younger audience but something pitched at an older audience with people getting around you know aliens could it be a bit x-files ish even i don't know so look i see potential 
but the way Unit has been handled in the modern era gives me pause for thought. Can I say that? Look, you can, because that is very much an echo of my thoughts. Uh, Whatever they do, I'm going to check it out. I'm very curious to see what RTT does with all Mm. of these different spin-offs. And look, as you say, the the beauty of a spin-off, whether it's Class or Torchwood or Sarah Jane, etc., etc., is that you can skew it to a slightly different demographic. You can go older, you can go younger. Interesting that you sort of associated it with Torchwood and said, let's go a bit older, because I sort of thought maybe it's going to be a bit more of that Sarah Jane, Scooby-Doo, fighting aliens and having fun type of a show. Mm. Um, The reality is we don't even know. In fact, we don't even know for sure this show is happening. No. (laughs) But like you, I don't think Unit has been handled well in the new series. I think it is very obvious that in contrast to Classic Who, where Unit was set up by people who had served, in some cases served in World War II, done military service, done national service, or had friends and relatives who had, and and there's a real sort of understanding of the military. It's very obvious that New Who is written by people who have absolutely no concept of Mm. how the military really works. It's often a bit of a sort of a satire and a not very educated one. Well, even actors had been in the military, like a John Pertwee type, so, you know, you've got the third Doctor working with Unit and the and the actor knows how the military works. Yeah, absolutely. Patrick Troughton was exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and Barry Letts and, and a whole bunch of others. Uh, Douglas Canfield was in the army for a time, or at least the territory. Or so. so, yeah, I, I think that lack of knowledge does show in the new series. So that, like you, I have that element of caution. But, mm. look, let's see what is formally announced. Let's see what the cast looks like. Is it is it going to be all of the unit scientific wing or is it going to be Kate Stewart and a bunch of military people? Is it going to have ex-companions in it? Is it going to have current companions in it? We don't know. Uh, that's just, I think that's enough speculation for now. <laughs> well, as I say, I'd like to see, you know, Kate Stewart and some agents in plain clothes. So more like an MI6 kind of thing going on. But that's just me. <laughs> Yeah, I must admit I hadn't thought about it in that much depth. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what it goes. What have you got for us, Rob? Dave, I've got another spin-off here to talk about, Doomsday. This is a multi-platform story announced earlier this week, which will be told through books, comics, audio, and more, apparently. And gosh, didn't this kind of thing work out well when they did Time Lord Victorious a few years back? But... I digress. Have you seen the video trailer for this, Dave? I have seen the video trailer for it. In fact, given that it's had now several million views, I don't think I could have helped but see the <laughs> see the video trailer. It has certainly gone viral, and, and the marketing there, I think, will be very happy with themselves. Look, it's attracted a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. I think some of it, you know, perfectly reasonable and perfectly valid. I can see why the criticism has been made. Uh, as always, there are those people that just take it to you know, stupid and unnecessarily strong places. And that's, you know, that's that's a shame, but that is social media in the 2020s, let's be mm-hmm. honest. Look, I, I saw it and my first reaction was kind of, look, this doesn't seem like it's something aimed at me, so I'll, I'll just move on. I did get a real sort of kids TV vibe. And, you know, um, it very much felt like the Teabag franchise for those of you who <laughs> grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. It had that sort of a vibe to me. And I sort of thought, okay, maybe they're doing a real sort of kids type spin-off and that's fine. It's it's not for an old bloke like me, so I, I don't mm. need to really care. I, I then did wonder, because I saw some of your comments, Rob, and I'm sure you'll expand on what you said in a moment, but I did, oh, yes. I, I did, think, I did think that maybe it is being deliberately 
shot in this way or put up in this way and that maybe that's because it's linked into something like the villain that we are expecting in the upcoming Tenant Specials who is involved in games. And mm-hmm. so maybe it is very deliberately a pastiche or a homage to bad computer games, particularly sort of something like Destiny of the Doctors, which is another sort of vibe I, I got right. from that, that. That very sort of Anthony Anley like, I'm here doing a computer game. Ha ha. Um, yeah, because that, that's the kind of the, the feeling I got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, maybe that is a very deliberate vibe, which I think echoes something you said. But, but yeah, your thoughts, Rob? I have so many thoughts, Dave. I'll try and keep it brief. Um, if people have seen me ranting on Twitter, they may have already heard some of this. In my world, a trailer needs to be appealing. It needs to draw people in, not send them running for the hills or at best left scratching their heads and wondering, well, could it mean this? Could it mean that? So we have Doom and she's played by UK comedian Suze Kempner. She's addressing the audience as if they're about five years old. Yes. You know, declaring she's the universe's greatest assassin and she needs to find the doctor, you know, because she's being pursued by death. And cards on the table, Dave, I think this looks absolutely tragic. It's it's pantomime level sort of acting. The backgrounds to the video look cheap. The lighting is way too bright. And in fact, I made a comparison today on Twitter showing her on the cover of a big finish uh, release in the same costume, same location, she looks a million times better on that cover than she does in the video. It's all down to colour grading and lighting and things like that. The costume looks like it's never been outdoors. It's just grim. And I've been saying to people that I hope there's some sort of comedic twist. I mean, they do have a comedian playing this character. So maybe she's not as big and bad as she thinks she is and just doesn't realise it. But if you were going in that comedy direction, why not add more of a wink and a nod to the trailer so that the audience gets what you're doing? She could be saying something like, I'm the universe's greatest assassin. Well, I say greatest, I'm, I'm all right. Um, okay, I haven't actually killed anyone, but I'm trying really hard. If it was like that, if that's the vibe, you would instantly get what it's trying to be. And I don't know if it is going to be like that, but if it was, I think you need that in the trailer. Something that would show how we're meant to take this. Presently, it's just, I'm the universe's greatest assassin, and we've got to take it on face value. Even though, as as you identify, she's more of a children's TV presenter. She's jumping at her own shadow in the clip. No one in their right mind would buy that this is the universe's greatest assassin. But I'll be keeping an eye on it. If it does have a comedy twist, I think it could be quite entertaining. But again, that should be telegraphed from the start, not left ambiguous and left to me saying, well, maybe it'll be funny. And you're saying, well, maybe it'll be related to this villain. Again, a trailer's job is to interest people, not send them running. And I think this has sent a lot of people running straight off the bat. I I think that that's right. But I guess if you say the other job of a trailer is simply to get out name ID, this has certainly worked because I've seen this shared or commented on on social media literally dozens of times in the last two or three days. Yeah. So it, it has attracted that discussion. Look, I'm I'm kind of with you. I agree that it looks bad, but it is so obviously bad that I can't believe any director or producer or studio executive didn't notice and let it pass. So right. that implies to me that it must be a choice. Uh, maybe <laughs> we'll be. So. You, you would think so. So look, look again. Um, we're speculating, but look, I, I mean, if the aim, if the aim is to get people talking about it, well, we've just talked about it on our podcast. So yeah, that part of the marketing has worked. Whether, as you say, 
people bother to tune in, I don't know. Yeah, and look, I join with you in saying there have been vile comments made about Suze Kempner herself. Yes. And that's just way out of line. You know, all the stuff I'm talking here is about how it's presented, how it looks visually, all of that stuff. And I'm open to seeing how it goes once it launches. But people just going after her directly, just vile, horrible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean either she's been asked to do it that way or she's been hired because she's that kind of a comedian actor so mm-hmm. she's she's done what she was paid to do yeah exactly just like hayden christian in episode two of star wars george lucas wanted him to act like that guys it's not his fault no exactly right exactly right mm. uh, on to our short topics and i will lead off with this now in the last month rob i've had a couple of fairly decent road trips i was off mm-hmm. to a wedding in Warrnambool, which was about a six and a bit hour round trip. Oh, and uh, I did go down for work to the Avalon Airshow Trade Day, which was another sort of four or five oh, hour round trip. I would have loved that. Uh, you, I'll tell you off mic some of the uh, things we got to do. Um, Fantastic. Um, but it was very, very cool. Um, F-35 sim. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was fun. But as I do when I have a couple of big road trips, I go and buy and download some Big Finish. So I have listened to some Big Finish this month, and I'll just give you a very quick overview of what I've heard. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I did listen to the New Adventures adaption, All Consuming Fire, which I really enjoyed. It was a very good presentation. McCoy was really good. Uh, Benny Summerfield and Ace were really good. Uh, I did think it struggled a little bit because, for me, one of the highlights of that novel is the alien landscape that's constructed and and is the very strange, large monster that we sort of get at the end of it, which a book can do really, really well. It can spend pages talking about this strange environment with the inverse sky and the, the ice deck above and all the rest of it. And you can't do that nearly as well as an, in an audio unless mm-hmm. you, you make the, the, which would be the wrong decision for characters to spend several minutes saying, look over there at the way the mountains have done. Like, you're not going to have that. Yeah. So I think it lost a bit of the grandeur that I really liked from the novel, which which is a shame. And again, the the ending was a bit rushed. I thought what, what you can spend pages describing action hmm. on audio is just sort of a few seconds of bang bang done, if you like. Yeah. Um, you know, which, which was a shame. Um, Nick Briggs plays Sherlock Holmes in it. I'm not quite sure what he was going for, but he seemed to be having fun, so yeah, that's okay. Uh, but right. look, overall, it was enjoyable. Uh, one you recommended, Rob, is The Sword of Orion. Yes. Which I thought was a really good adventure. Like a lot of big finish, it's a little bit long and could have been truncated down a little bit if they'd you know, really been more disciplined and stuck to strict 25-minute episodes. Mm-hmm. I think it's my first began audio. Uh, and he did a really good job. The compa- Great. The companion, I thought, was very generic, and I can't even remember her name. I'm sorry. Charlie. Charlie, there you go. I didn't get a lot out of Charlie. Uh, mm-hmm. I just thought she was sort of generic female companion. But it was a good um, It was a good story. The things I was sitting there going, that doesn't seem right. Is that a plot hole? An episode later, you go, ah, it wasn't a plot mm-hmm. hole. It was a clue, yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, it worked really, really well. On that level, I was I was quite engrossed. I thought it did well. The Cybermen were really cool. Um, not quite sure what Nick Briggs was doing with the Cyber Voices, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. It, he has to do all the voices. It's in his contract or something. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, that was really good. Uh, the One Doctor is another one that everyone keeps telling me I have to listen to. And, look, listening to it, I absolutely get why. It's very fun. It's very clever. It's not a story you could do... Uh, in that style often it sort of needs to be a bit of a a one 
one note sort of offbeat sort of thing. But mm-hmm. look, it is very clever. I, I did like the fact that the pretense or the conceit of the episode was kind of acknowledged and dealt with fairly quickly. And then they got on with having the adventure and sort of doing a few things from there. So that worked out well. That, that was fun. Uh, and The Secrets of Det Sen, which is a... Oh, it's what they used to call a companion chronicles. Now they've sort of made them halfway between a companion chronicle and a proper adventure. But it had Peter mm-hmm. Purvis, who did a really good job. It's it's a prequel to The Abominable Snowman. And so there were a couple of things that I think were meant to be surprises. And But look, if you know that they're setting up The Abominable Snowman, you kind of know where it's going to go. But it was really lovely. It was really evocative. I think it, it, it caught the Hartnell era atmosphere really well it had the right sort of pacing the right sort of ideas I, I thought they sort of captured the himalayas as a soundscape you know really really well peter purvis was really good as steven i'm not sure that his heart was particularly good right. um, i know it might be that's not a universal opinion some people really like his heart but um it's it's not for me it's not as bad as fraser heinz trouton <laughs> so this is Hartnell going in and getting the device that's very important in the Abominable Snowman and, and meeting up with Tara Masalada or whatever his name Padma is. Padma Sambavar, yes. There we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so look, that, that was really nice. I enjoyed that. And and finally, I did listen to Class, The Secret Diary of a Rhodian Prince um, because I, you know, I did enjoy Class and I did think Greg Austin was really good in Class. And so having him do a little bit of a spin-off thing was really good. And I really enjoyed that. It was really fun. And I was quite disappointed to find out like class it doesn't seem to have a sequel so mm. um hopefully it comes out but at the moment it doesn't so look just a few big finishes from me i'm not a huge big finish listener but when the opportunity presents i do dip in very good my first short topic this month dave is as many listeners will already know if they follow the show on social media i had a bit of a spurt of motivation over the past week and some spare time to do a a reshoot of some scenes and I've actually finished and uploaded my I was a teenage time lord piece you which have. is a I have which is a video account of what it was like to record uh with the afternoon show doing a doctor who quiz back in November of 1988. This, of course, is following on from that footage being found and digitised recently by a Sydney fan named Scott Wilcoxon in February. And now people can see and hear me talk about what the afternoon show was and who the host was and how I was picked to be on the show and what it was like to be in, in the studio on that day, even what happened the following week at school. Now, I think you've seen this, Dave. What did you think? I have seen it. I've got to say, I was very impressed. I'll be honest, when you said you, you. when you said you were making a, a documentary about this, I was a little bit sort of like, okay, I don't know where Rob's going with this one. This, <laughs> not, not, not quite sure what this is going to be like um, because it's not something, we, you know, we've sort of done before. And so uh, mm. I was a little bit curious. But, but I thought you captured that moment in Australian Who history really well and obviously from a very personal perspective and and I do think it is actually particularly interesting and particularly important because it is representative of a massive turning point in the story of Doctor Who in Australia because because as you have captured the switch of Doctor Who from paired with something like the goodies or Yes Minister and leading into the 7pm news. Mm-hmm. The switch from that to now part of a kids' magazine program in the early afternoon after school with a presenter who very clearly doesn't want to be there and doesn't like the show. It's, <laughs> it's, 
it's just that real moment where who went from being mainstream staple family viewing, as I say, leading into the ABC News, which was at the time that was the the big, yeah, you know, the the big evening bulletin, to to like we're just throwing this out with the kids stuff and yeah. let's just get it on. So I thought you captured that moment really well, and that that was really interesting. Plus, of course, there were faces there that. Uh, are people who I've since met, your Tony Cooks, your Dallas Joneses, Kate Orman, of course, and mm-hmm. and of course, people that are now listeners and people we interlocute with on uh, Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned it was a personal story, and that, that is absolutely by design, because as soon as I was talking about this on Twitter, people were saying to me, are you going to interview James Valentine? Are you going to get all the other people from the quiz and like truth be told yes i could probably do that james valentine's right there on twitter he's he's spoken to me over twitter before dallas jones listens to the show mark douglas is over there in the uk listening to us right now yes hello mark uh, <laughs> yeah hello mark and and so on and so forth kate orman's out there in fact when the footage was found i emailed kate and told her she was like oh my god um, <laughs> yeah you know so all these people are available yes i could have done that and as i even hinted on the video maybe there's another video begging to be made one day but this was my my story and i'm unapologetic about that this is my personal this is what happened on the day this is what happened to me this is why i was there blah 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 blah. we could perhaps do something else at some stage but for now this was just meant to be a personal story it wasn't meant to be everyone you know as a talking head sort of thing yeah, no, and that was your mission, and I, as I say, you, you did succeed in that, but honestly, and I'm not, I'm not saying this just because you're my podcasting companion, um, yes. I, I, don't, don't, don't undersell it, because as I said, you do capture where the show was in Australia in 1988, and I won't say it was in a bad place, certainly not, I mean, we just got Remembrance of the Daleks, but it was in a different place, and I think the start of the decline of the show in Australia was when that switch in time slot happened. Well, I would say the vibe of season 24 fits perfectly with the afternoon show. Look, that's true as well. That's fair as well. Mm, Because it is quite childish and colourful and, you know, campy and such, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And you could watch The Mysterious Cities of Gold and The Ghosts of Motley Hall and go straight into Time of the Rani. I I do get that. So, um, Mm. look, we won't analyse it any further because it's there on YouTube to watch. Yes, please do watch it. Uh, But yeah, no, well done. Second short topic from me, I just wanted to mention that over the last few weeks, I did rewatch my all-time favourite season of Doctor Who, which is season seven. I hadn't watched it all the way through for quite a while, and I did make a point, as I do when I'm rewatching episodes and stories for the podcast, I did make a point that this would not be background watching, I wouldn't be multi-screening or anything like that. I was going to sit down and watch it, and I did. And Mm -hmm. wow, I just had a great time. I really, really (laughs) did. It was just so wonderful to sit there and allow myself to be immersed in four, in my view, absolutely classic stories. Um, I, I haven't watched Spearhead for a long time, partly because it was one of the first stories I ever saw, and it was one of the first stories that we had on as an off-air dub when Dad bought a VCR back in about 1984-85. We, we recorded most of season seven then, so I grew up very, very familiar with Spearhead, and I think that sort of meant I haven't wanted to go back to it as much. Mm. But, but watching it again after a several-year break, I really just appreciated how much is going on, how clever it is, how expensive it looks. Um, yeah. And in fact, the whole season just looks 
spectacular. There are large crowd scenes, large numbers of characters and extras, lots of locations. Moving on to the Silurians, look, listeners know that's my favourite story. But again, watching the Silurians just build up from a very simple story in part one and then in getting just a little bit more complicated and more terrifying every episode until it builds to a massive worldwide sort of climax was mm-hmm. was really fun. But again, the the budget, how many Silurians there were, the location filming, I mean, dozens of people in Waterloo Station. I don't know yeah. how many were paid extras and how many were just very <laughs> v- bemused passengers. But, <laughs> yeah. but you've got, you know, multiple emergency services vehicles come in. Um, it's, it's really, really good. Ambassadors of Death, again, just extra layer of plot goes on. It becomes a little bit more complicated as it goes on. There's the first conspiracy twist, the next conspiracy twist, and then finally you get to Inferno, and I, again, haven't watched Inferno for a long time. Mm. And I was blown away by just how adult it really, really was, just how utterly soul-destroyingly terrifying that story is. And, And again, the older you get, the more you sort of think about these big worldwide events and how you get more you think about mortality and and that sort of thing and spending two episodes with characters who know that the world is going to end and they are going to die and how they deal with that mm. this is a kid show from 1970 i know and 17 years later you have time in the rani yeah it's just so look <laughs> i i could spend that i could spend a whole podcast talking about how much i love season seven and all four of those stories but yeah i, yeah. I just wanted to say because i think i think sometimes as fans we sort of maybe go back and watch stories we don't normally watch or we mm-hmm. go back and watch stories we think are weak because we want to reevaluate them and see how oh, those bad who remember or, <laughs> or sometimes we watch seasons because we're on a podcast and we have to. Yeah, yeah. But the joy of watching stories I love so very much and just watching them again and enjoying them, I just thought it was such a wonderful experience. And listeners, if you haven't watched your favourite story or your favourite season for a while, what's stopping you? Exactly. Go do it. Here, here. Finally, Dave, I have another YouTube-related short topic, and this relates to the way that I've been dabbling with making little news videos every now and then on the channel. So, as well as getting a sort of greatest hits of our past shows edited for the medium, which we've been dropping there for, for like a year now, so there's a lot of our old shows up there if you ever want to re-listen to them without the big intros and things like that. You'll now start getting random, very random, I want to reinforce, little pieces from me. It's it's not something I'm trying to do every day or even every week. It's just when the mood strikes. So if you don't want to miss them, head over to youtube.com forward slash at the DW show and subscribe to us there. Ring the bell. And whenever I do one of these odd little news pieces, uh, it'll pop up in your feed. Yeah, what I like about this is, as you've said, it's very random and it's not something you feel the obligation to do. It's just no. when you genuinely have something to say, you say it. And I mm-hmm. think that really, really works. It's, it's kind of like my Twitter feed. There will be times where I have lots to say and I'll be flooding your feed with all these thoughts and then I'll have a week yeah. where I have nothing to say. And yeah. um, and I think I see that in what you're doing with the news. You know, If you've got a point you want to make, you make it. And if it takes you 30 seconds, it takes you 30 seconds. If it takes you five minutes, it takes you five minutes. So it's it's not something you're doing just to get likes or to build an audience per se. It's just kind of like our podcast. We're just putting it out there and whoever listens, listens. Even the hits we get are very random. It's like, here's a story about Shooty Gatwa's costume. Thousands of hits. Here's a story about Stephen Moffat returning to write for Doctor Who. (laughs) 
300 hits. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, how, how do you even figure out how this algorithm works? I have no idea. No, no. And, and look, again, it's the same with Twitter. I, uh, I had two tweets, one on each of my accounts, uh, get well over 10,000 tweets in the last week. And uh, I have no idea what the secret source that was that that got it, and something else got forty-seven <laughs> views. So, yeah. yeah, what is it? What is it? I don't, I don't know. know. Brilliant. We need to move to our main topic, Rob, because we have a whole era to talk about. We do. In the ultimate Jodie Whittaker cold take. Now we've explained the topic, we've explained why we're doing it, and what we agreed on to sort of give some structure to this conversation and to make sure that we could do this within the time frame of a podcast episode was we agreed we would each go and watch six episodes of the Jodie Whittaker Chris Chibnall era mm-hmm. and we would use those to sort of hang our our thoughts on and kind of go back and reassess the era now in our conversation since I think it's turned out we've kind of taken that assignment in very different ways which, which as is, is our want as is our want and, and as a cool thing and and sometimes we very deliberately do that we say look you go away and prep i'll go away and prep and we'll come back and sometimes we're very in sync and sometimes we've done it very uh very differently <laughs> yes. and uh, I, I know rob you know, you sent me some notes saying that you had a very structured way that you'd you made very careful decisions about which six episode you'd yes. watch and, and, and why and how you do it i kind of just put on the tv scrolled to the doctor who menu and went oh, i think i'll watch that one and, right <laughs> and so we've approached it in very different ways and so look what we're going to do is i'm going to give some opening thoughts uh, and mm-hmm. you may have some comments in reply we'll see you're going to give us some closing thoughts and see if you came to the same place i did but in between we're going to go through the list of chibnall era stories and uh yes. if one of us has watched that episode and wants to talk about it uh what do we do should we shout chibbers <laughs> Yeah, something like that. <laughs> we'll shout something like Chibbers and uh, and we'll talk about it. So, look, to kick us off, I'm going to make an opening comment here, Rob. Mm-hmm. And my opening comment is I think that this era of Doctor Who is going to age very well. I think that there is a lot of positivity in this era. There is a lot more fun in this era than I remember from when I was watching it and the future of the show seemed to be at stake every time you watch a new episode because we're fans and that's how we feel was it perfect Mm. absolutely not am i about to talk about six classic episodes i'm definitely not but watching each episode on its own just for fun i found it was very very easy it was very very enjoyable i found jodie whittaker's doctor in that more relaxed environment and just tuning in and watching some Doctor Who worked much better than I remembered. So mm-hmm. whilst I'm going to have some negatives to to talk about, my opening gambit, my opening takeaway is this era, it may not be mentioned as the new series Hinchcliffe era or the, the Let's era, but I think it's going to be remembered quite fondly as people come back to it. Mm. Another thing I'll throw in there as we begin is something we're not probably thinking about here is ratings when you're watching these go out week after week and watching the ratings go down 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 that comes into the conversation but here where it's just i am putting on this story and watching it as a story i wasn't thinking about ratings for any of these no i hadn't even thought about it until then there you go there you go so look let's get going um i'll start reading some episodes let's see how long we have until one of us has watched one (laughs) until we get a chippers (laughs) 
The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Mm. The Ghost Monument. Chibbers! <laughs> okay, off we go. Uh, look, so I did watch episode two, The Ghost Monument, and this, I think to me, did set up the very positive experience I had re-watching the Jodie era. As a standalone, it works far, far better than it does as the second of the series where we're trying to work out what the series is about and how is Chibnall going to write and how is Jodie Whittaker going to work and, and how does this series all work and is it part of an arc and does this mean something? And, does it, and, and the, you know, when you divorce yourself from all of that, you just go, I'm going to watch this story and I know that it means nothing. I know that it's going nowhere. <laughs> Um, in terms of sort of the big picture, I just thought this is a really great adventure. I think that the main conceit of these two people doing some sort of amazing race survivor type intergalactic game is a really cool idea. And it's one of those things of Doctor Who taking from pop culture and making it a Doctor Who thing. It looks stunning. It absolutely looks stunning. It does have that mention of the timeless child, which I must admit did make me sort of sit up in my seat and go, oh, that's right, that happened there. <laughs> shame, yeah. nothing, shame nothing happened to that. Um, <laughs> um, and, and look, look, it's interesting, even in this one, I can see what we know is going to become the Doctor and Graham show. I can see mm-hmm. the seeds of that already happening, and Bradley Walsh is really, really good in it. The ending, yeah, the whole bit where the Doctor gets a bit depressed, it, it, it is a bit naff, but it looks good. I found her really easy to watch, and I thought this was a really good adventure. Classic, no, but but just just a fun, good-looking adventure. Yeah, look, I, I think it is. Obviously, it's not one that I've re-watched here. Otherwise, I would have called Chibbers 2. But I think what you're saying there is on point and plays into this idea of when you watch these things in isolation, they, they lift up a bit. Well, they certainly can. Mm. We'll continue with the list. Uh, Ro- okay. Rosa. Rosa, yeah. Arachnids in the UK. Mm-hmm. The Taranga Conundrum. Chibbers! Excellent. <laughs> you watched the Taranga Conundrum. What did you think? I did. Well, look, first of all, I'll say, Dave, you, you mentioned earlier that I had a scientific method at play here. I'll just say that I selected my six stories from Jodie's first two series as Flux felt a bit too recent to me. Let me, let me say I felt the same thing as well. With, with only six episodes to watch and so many more from the first two series, I thought, look, we've done Flux recently. So I, I didn't pick a Flux either. Spoilers. Yeah. But I picked very deliberately two stories I remember loving, two stories I remember hating, and two I was like a bit meh about. So I think whichever way you slice and dice it, I've got a pretty good selection going on here. It's not just stories what I loved or stories what I aided. It's a spectrum. It's it's a spectrum, absolutely. So we're going to kick off with the Saranga Conundrum for me. I'm going to guess this was one you hated. Yes, I chose it, Dave, because it's an episode I remember I really didn't like. Basically, I thought it was dumb. And now... We were some way into the episode. I say we, it was just me watching it. <laughs> I don't know why I'm using the royal we. And I was I was thinking, nothing really bad has happened so far. <laughs> but it didn't last for the whole episode. And by the end, I was confident it's not a great story. But what is interesting is I found it was actually a lot darker and a lot more emotional across the board than I remember, which are things that really appeal to me. But it still constantly undercuts itself with comedy, either the bloke who's pregnant or the way the pating looks. I think if we ditched 
the pating for something scarier, whether it's an, I don't know, an eldritch horror from the dawn of time or some sort of sentient virus or or something, the threat becomes something equally as destructive as a pating, which is eating the spaceship, but it stops being a comedy moment that, oh, look, it's this little cute thing. Oh, it's eating everything. <laughs> because that just takes you out of the story. Something also needs to be done in the story with this storyline of the legendary general who, for some ungodly reason, isn't being seen to by the military's doctors. It's all a bit cack-handed. Chibnall obviously wanted a strong, legendary woman with an imminent demise to be on this little ship and to fulfil the story, but he doesn't really sell the reasoning around her being on this little ship in the first place. Well enough for it to hang together. Her storyline feels off target. But in the end... It's better than I remember, and I will happily say that. It's still not great. I'm not saying it's great. I wouldn't go showing this to a friend to get them into Doctor Who, but it's a real 6 out of 10 effort, and like I say, I was some way into the episode thinking nothing nothing bad's happened. So I felt a lot more disposed to it than I did the first time around. That's really interesting and, and kind of pleasing to hear. I think what you're saying about the Pating is correct, if you buy into that as a really wacky concept, the episode probably lands a bit better than if you go, well, if you don't buy into it. And, and, and I think mm. there's also perhaps a sense in which it might outstay its welcome a bit. And maybe there's an issue like, oh, that's a cool idea, but doesn't sustain an episode, which I think was sort of what yeah. you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, no, interesting. All righty. Shall we go back to the list? We shall. Demons of the Punjab. Chibbers. Chibbers. Oh, oh, snap. A first snap. Excellent. Well, well you can go first because I was just talking. Look, I have identified this before as probably my favourite of the era. And mm-hmm. I'll say up front, there was nothing in my rewatch that changed that view. I thought this was extremely well-made Doctor Who. And again, watching it just as its own thing, if anything, probably enhanced that. Mm. Patel, I thought, does a really good job of setting up the story, setting up the location. He he sets up danger and threat and tension very quickly. And then you have what you think is the first explanation, but that's not true. And then you have the twist on that, then the other twist on that, then the real danger is actually, you know, it was us all along sort of thing. And so there's a really effective way in which he keeps you interested and um, there was one point I thought, wow, this is the exciting conclusion. Hang on, it's only been 20 minutes. Oh, there's more exciting conclusion to come, which which really, really worked well. Again, it looks great. The the location yeah. foot footage is really good. It puts us in history and it makes comment without making lecture, which I thought yep. was really good. I mentioned before that even by the Ghost Monument, you could see the show becoming the Doctor and Graham show. And I think here you can see they're now writing Graham moments because they know that Bradley Walsh does the mentor arm around the shoulder. Let me tell you about my perspective from my, you know, everyday down-to-earth Graham perspective. He he starts to get those speeches and that was here. And he does it well, but I, I did see the... I did see the script pieces working in that, which perhaps is a reflection of the fact that I, I now know that's becomes a bit of a trope in the show. So that was perhaps a distraction. But um, I was I was thoroughly engrossed in this, and I just think it's really good Doctor Who. Yeah, look, I, I concur with all of that, and I will retort by, by talking through my notes. I chose this because it's a, an episode I remember really liking, so it's one of the love episodes for me. This one, when I rewatched it, is even better than I remembered. The first thing that really struck me about it 
was the music. The score in this is excellent. And I'd completely forgotten they even do the closing credits in that style of music. Yes, me too. And that's so good, isn't it? Yeah, it gets the drums and the, the wailing sort of voice and all of that stuff. It's wonderful. And thinking about this in relation to the Saranga conundrum, which is literally the previous episode, both have heavy moments. This one is obviously heavier in general. And being a real-world situation has extra gravity on top of the heaviness in the script. Yeah. But I make the point that both are heavy, yet this one never undercuts itself with the silly humour. We don't go from brother threatening brother to an alien who looks silly, you know, and we go, oh, look at that funny alien. We have an occasional one-liner here and there, but nothing comedic that undercuts things. The story knows it's heavy and it knows what it wants to say and how to say it. The Saranga conundrum wants to have heavy moments, but like some child who can't express their emotions properly, constantly goes and blows it every five minutes. And that's come across more than ever in this rewatch as I look at these two episodes back to back. So in the end, it's better than I remember. I already liked it to begin with. Even the aliens, which I've railed against for years, wondering why are they there? Why don't we just have an historical... Even they felt right this time. So in my mind, this is pushing up. This is nine out of 10 stuff. This is great stuff. Amazing stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting and and, and really pleasing because I'm I'm obviously a big fan as well. And something Mm. that I didn't have in my notes, but now that you're talking, I think is actually quite obvious, is that this is an era that works at its best when it's playing things straight. Yeah. And uh, when it plays things straight, I think it lands very, very well. And perhaps some of its weaker ones are ones where e- either because they're trying to be a bit different or they're trying to be a bit quirky or maybe they just don't want to look like they're taking themselves too seriously. They they don't always play them as straight. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, like to go back to Saranga Conundrum, the scene at the end where the Doctor invokes this sort of prayer for the, for the dead um, military commander... You know, as she's intoning that, it's like, oh, man, this is so... Look, I'm surprised Chibnall didn't have the pating run in and, and fart or something halfway <laughs> through that. But that doesn't happen, of course. And and all of that is, is really, really nice, but constantly in that script, undercut with comedy all the time. Mm. Kablam. Chibbers. <laughs> Great. Uh, let me say, I watched this almost by accident because... My modus operandi was to watch an episode, then go back to the menu and see what I felt like watching next. The -hmm. problem was I enjoyed Demons of the Punjab so much. (laughs) You kept watching. That it just scrolled (laughs) into the next episode. I'm like, that's cool. I'll just keep watching it before I knew it. Kablam had become my third pick. So uh, there was no method to this whatsoever other than I was totally captured by the the story and the the, the, the the computer did what it was meant to do. It's like, well, if you're liking this, just keep watching us, please. Yeah. And I did. So uh, so that was good. Yeah, Kablam, Kablam was really interesting. And I, I walked away from it, again, enjoying the story, but... Uh, appreciating it in a slightly different way to what I did first. And and partly because I think my memories of the hot take were really clouded in a lot of other hot takes and a lot of reactions since where people drew various bits of message or various bits of allegory from it. And there was almost a, a sort of a mini culture war over mm-hmm. the episode. But but as I watched it back, and, and, and you can't help it, you've sort of got that, that fan debate in the back of your mind when you watch it. I thought that none of it on any side was kind of warranted because 
watch this back and it's actually got a lot of real moral ambiguity in it and there are mm-hmm. a lot of occasions when a character will say something that in writing is a positive thing but the way it's delivered you can see that they think that well it's an ambiguous thing so where characters give lines about well they're required to have 10 percent of humans as the workforce you watch the action you go they're like well it's it's good that there are some humans with work it's good that we have some employment but it's only 10%. Well, you know, why can't it be? Tw- mm-hmm. There are lots of the debates in there that, that kind of happen in there. I think that Charlie's motivation is shown to be well meant, but what he does with that motivation is shown to be wicked. Uh, Charlie isn't just dealt with as a villain. He's given a chance to redeem himself and to, to survive, but he chooses not to for, for dramatic reasons. So I actually think there's a lot more ambiguity in this story, including the ending, that I think fans would get in a hot take. And I think this is therefore one that is really deserving of the rewatch. Uh, yeah. I think this, the setup is really good. It's a really interesting premise. A- again, it's Doctor Who doing that thing that's very familiar and making it a Doctor Who concept. The robots are creepy. It throws a couple of punches, things like Kira's death. Charlie isn't a black and white villain. He's he's a nice guy that means well, but he's just gone to a really terrible place with it it drags a little bit in the middle i think it sort of goes around in circles for a bit which on a rewatch you kind of notice but i actually think there's a lot of depth to this that people don't appreciate on the first watch uh and it's well made and i think that this is going to also age quite well i think it's going to age better than a lot of people expect it to that's really interesting to hear because, you know, you talk about that culture war stuff and, and, and let's put cards on the table. People out there, especially on Twitter, have this pathological hatred of Amazon and that's what they are equating it all to. And the plot that this guy is going to send out these explosive packages to customers, people are like, yeah, you know, you stick it to Amazon sort of thing. I would say to them, <laughs> what if that was your dad getting a package from the Kablam service that he uses? And he gets blown up by this terrorist. You're still on the terrorist side? <laughs> so there is so much ambiguity in this that I think people... It just flew over their heads. They were just so determined to say, I don't like Amazon, therefore the way this show sort of stuck up for Amazon-like companies is bad, is evil. And it's like, no, no, I think there's more to it. And I think I'd like to watch it again too. I didn't on this time around, obviously. But I would like to reappraise that ambiguity myself to really be across it. I I think I've got the right of it on first watch. I certainly wasn't taking this ideological, I hate Amazon, therefore this story sucks angle, which so many people did. But I think even I could get something out of rewatching it. Yeah, or even people who came to it from the other side of of that sort of cultural debate, I think will realise that there's there's a lot more grain than there was. But Mm -hmm. the other thing is it, it uses the four members of the crew really well. Right, which is a rare thing, and it's something I want to come back to at the end. Okay. The Witchfinders. It takes you away. The Battle of Ranskor Av Kolos. Chippers! Oh, oh no! another snap! <laughs> well, I lead on our last snap, Rob, and I've just spoke for two episodes, so why don't you lead us off here? Uh, sure. Okay. This is one I chose, Dave, because it's an episode I remember hating. I remember being just totally disappointed with the story and I thought to myself, has it got any better, you know, five years later? Five years, my God. Uh, So now, I kept waiting for the story to to turn bad and it never did. (laughs) 
is, is that shocking? Is that a shocking way to start this? <laughs> no, it's an interesting way to start it. Okay. There were certainly things that annoyed me. The whole backstory feels very messy at first until it's explained that Tim Shaw arrived and the Ux worshipped him. But I'm still unclear as to what all the battles were that happened prior, what they were about, or why they had collected planets in jars, or how collecting planets in jars was fine, but if they had one more planet, that was a really bad idea, or how those planets in jars could be reconstituted by, you know, like just adding water to powdered milk sort of thing at the end (laughs) of the episode. So there are bits I'm still unclear about. There are things that annoyed me, but the story never went as bad as I thought it did. There are some great moments when Graham realises Tim Shaw's there, and he takes the doctor aside and he says, you know, if I see this prick, I'm going to kill him. And the doctor is all sanctimonious and, you know, is doing the whole, oh, if you do that, you can't travel with me. Even though she's killed loads of people in her life. And if you do that, you're as bad as him. And Bradley Walsh is just quietly, nah, I'm not having that. It's a really well-written, really well-acted scene. Overall, though, I think the episode feels a bit like Chibnall's stressing about writing it and thinking oh my god it's the finale big idea big idea big idea big idea does any of it work uh does it bollocks but we need to put something out there here it is so in the end this feels bizarre to say but this is absolutely better than i remember that doesn't mean i'm giving it a free pass and there are still all those things i shake my head at but as i just mentioned i have to be honest it's way better than in my memory and it's really quite competent in a number of areas, and I can't believe I'm saying any of this, Dave. <laughs> well, I watched it as well, and, and I picked it for a very similar reason. I, I didn't go in, as you did, with a very deliberate too good, too medium, too bad, but I did go in knowing I wanted to have a, a, a good mix and just watch, not, not just watch all my favourites. Mm-hmm. And, and I did sort of think, look, I remember this is an episode that we didn't really like. It certainly copped a lot of flack in social media over the last few years. And I thought, I actually don't remember anything about it. So I'll, I'll check it in. And I had a similar experience to you in that I'm watching this. And again, divorced of it needing to do the heavy lifting and meet the expectations of being a season finale, which in the Moffat era and the RTD era were a very particular thing. There was a big series finale. And I think we were coming in with those expectations. Whereas in classic Doctor Who, we never had such a thing. No. We just had a story and it would end. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. So uh, I, I think when you when you divorce it again from those expectations and from where it sits in the show and just take it as an adventure, again, I was watching it and going, I'm not hating this. This is okay. Yep. Um, yep. Interestingly, though, I've also made notes about exactly the scene that you made where mm-hmm. I have talked about the really clunky writing that both actors are struggling to deliver. So what, oh, really? what, what you said was well-written and well-acted, I've said is like a really clunky moment that slowed the story down and dragged it down a bit. So um, oh my God. that's really... And, folks, we did not plan this at all. We have both no, watched that scene. We've both picked that episode and, and taken that story in that way really, really differently. Uh, look, look, like you, I think that the conclusion is a little bit just sort of, um, why is that happening? Oh, okay, fine, whatever. I'm not sure that the, uh, what's what's the name? The the Zimshar villain. I'm not sure that the Timshar. Tim Shaw. Quite, no, I can't say that. It's the guy from the Demtel ads. <laughs> and from the National Press Club as well. He's from the National Press Club. He's on Canberra Radio now or something, I think. That's right, um, yeah. 
<laughs> I don't think that he's got quite the gravitas that Chibnall thought he would have, and that I don't think he therefore quite carries the finale, or or really is frankly worthy of the the rematch. Uh, so it, it doesn't quite have the intensity it was meant to. Is it an outright classic? No. Is it a stinker though? No, I don't think it is. As a piece of fifty-minute yeah. television, as a bit of a fun adventure, I, I thought this was fine. Yeah, that's my big takeaway. I'm not suddenly saying this is a forgotten classic that everyone should go and watch, but I'm I am saying it's way better than I remember, and it's way better than I've talked it down for over the past five years. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. Uh, so yeah. look, we are at the end of Chibnall's first season. I've watched four. You've watched three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know neither of us have any fluxes, so uh, let's keep going. Okay. Resolution. Spyfall Part 1. Spyfall Part 2. Orphan 55. Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. Chippers! Oh, I thought we needed one somewhere. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> All right. Nikola Tesla's Night of Terror. This is one of mine that was in the meh category. I remember thinking it was an interesting app and had a great guest cast, but something had stopped it from being great. That was my memory of it. So now, I still see this as an interesting one, Dave, that the sets, the costumes, the locations look great. The guy playing Tesla is fabulous, as is the Edison character. But then we get to the Scythra, who seem like a poor man's Rachnos. And zapping their ship with Tesla's tower seems like such low-hanging fruit. I saw a much more interesting direction this story could have gone with the Orb of Thassa. They get the Orb of Thassa and they say, this comes from the ancients, they were used to spread knowledge. But oh no, the Orb's been reprogrammed by the, the Scythra and it, it isn't spreading knowledge anymore and has nothing to do with the ancients, etc., etc. And I'm like, oh my God, that was the story, guys. Have Edison and Tesla competing over getting information from the orb from these ancients, and you're trying to stop them both. You're trying to keep them apart. You're trying to keep one from grabbing the orb from the other. Or is that too cerebral and the audience wants, oh, here are some ugly aliens and we need to zap their spaceship. So in the end, it falls a little more on the good side than the mess side of the first time I watched it, but only a little bit. So not a huge change for me. It, it, it started all right in my memory, and it's still all right. It's a, it's a 7 out of 10 effort. Not much variation in this one. And, and I, I, as I say, I, I saw a better way this story could have gone when I rewatched it. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I don't remember a lot about this. I do remember I was a little bit more down on it than you were on the hot okay. take but yeah maybe that's another one that i need to rewatch. Mm. right we've now watched four episodes back to the list yes fugitive of the jadoon chibbers <laughs> great this is one that i did flag i think in our last monthly episode when we discussed the topic that i was absolutely always going to go back and watch mm-hmm. uh, the reason is twofold one because i do have very fond memories of it two because of the role that it sort of has taken on in doctor who mythology and Three, because I know that it's an episode where, when I watched it the first time, a lot of my enjoyment was from the, oh my god, wow, what's happening? And does it hold up when you know what's going to happen? Uh, Yeah, you've mentioned this many times on the show, even before we started planning this episode, that it was something you were interested in revisiting one day. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I have, and I've got to say, it does hold up very, very well. Now, again, if I was planning this list of six to watch. I don't know that I would have watched both Punjab and Jadoon because they are both Vinnie Patel 
episodes and maybe that's not oh, of course that, that's a bit unfair but but as i said my, my gut said this is where to go so that that's what happened and again you see watching them both sort of within a week of each other patel has this really good way of every five or six minutes just finding another little action beat or another little plot beat that helps to ramp up the tension. And I think mm. that's what works very well in his writing, and I think it works very well here. Because as I'm watching this, again, Ruth is an even more engaging character now than she was the first time. Because the first time you're watching it, you're going, okay, what's happening? Who's the fugitive? What's going on? And because you know that she's going to turn out to be the fugitive, you're just like, hey, actually, she's she's really engaging. And I kind of feel a bit sorry for her when the tourist is like, oh, maybe I'll come back. And she's like, no, you're not going to. And I mm. maybe feel a little bit, little bit guilty because I've done that before. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, maybe I'll come back. Like, I'm not coming back. Yeah. So, that, you know, it sort of felt really human. The Jadoon are really good and they're, they're, they're the right sort of excitement machine for that. The way that the revelation that she's got a police box is directed is really strong and so it still holds up so that first two thirds i thought was incredibly exciting and incredibly good and i I do think that patel has enough little beats in there to keep the tension going uh did the back third hold up quite as well no i think that when you do take away the revelations from there all you've got is about 10 to 15 minutes of three or four people talking in a room and it does actually just feel like two or three people talking in a room. When you know that the whole, how did this work? What's this? Are you, did you come before me? Did I come before you? It's kind of going to go nowhere. Like they, they play with it a little bit and you've got that whole sort of Irish thing and the timeless child, but it's never really quite resolved. It's never made quite clear, even in flux, sort of how Ruth as the doctor works when you sort of know that's sort of coming you're like well i don't care about any of that because i know that's it's not going to be anything it it is just sort of people talking in a room and it's very good acting and they are very good actors but i thought that the back third did fall down a little bit so i still think it's a great episode and that that first two thirds is excellent the back part though was a little bit weaker but where it's good it's really really good and again john barrowman the first two thirds of john barrowman where he's having fun he's flirting with graham and everything and you go yeah this is this is this is fun you know this is this is what captain jackie's meant to be and and you know look we know john barrowman's got his fault we go look it's it's kind of working here then when he starts doing all, all his you must not give the lone sideman what he wants or it's the end of the world and you sort of go well well she did and it wasn't so so again the back third there falls down again as well so so a mixed bag there i still think it's a great episode the first two thirds held up the back part didn't did you like it better or or worse than when you first saw it on balance probably a little bit bit worse but you know we're we're talking about going from like a nine to an eight but it did drift a little bit because of that that sort of backpack part of it Mm. well this was never an episode that really wowed me It, it had the big wow moment but the episode overall never wowed me, so maybe this is one I should scratch a note down and, and go and rewatch just to see how I feel about it too, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that would be very interesting. Okay. Praxius. Chibbers. <laughs> okay. Uh, this was my number six, and this was one that I really agonised over. Uh, those people who have been following me on Twitter in the last week will have seen that I, I did sort of lock in those first couple that I wanted to watch, and then there were a couple more I did watch. And then I sort of got down to that last sixth slot. I was jumping around, sort of wanting to watch something that I had very ambiguous views on. And I was 
in the end tossing up between this can you hear me and orphan 55 and i just went with praxius for gut instinct frankly and again i didn't mean to watch two pete mctye episodes it's just where my gut took me mm-hmm. i didn't remember a lot about praxius and right. as i'm watching it, i thought this is fantastic this is an amazing energetic start to the episode it again looks spectacular that i think is a bit of a theme uh, that we've both been talking about with this era and it moves from place to place really really well that adventure is really well set up it, it doesn't stop for the first probably 30 minutes unfortunately it then really does stop and there is a huge amount of people in a room standing around explaining the plot i was reminded at this stage that my big criticism of it when i watched it for the hot take was i don't know what's going on and unfortunately when i watched it again cold i also got thin and thought i have no idea what just happened so um (laughs) so in that respect it's probably 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 held about level the first half an hour fantastic the last 20 minutes bemusing uh so this is probably the one that hasn't gone up or down it's it's it stayed where I had it the first time. Right, right. I remember not liking this at the time, so this would have been not even maybe even more in my hate category. But I already had done two episodes I hate, so it didn't end up in my list. Obviously, I've not I've not snapped with you here. I have very vague memories of it involving ocean rubbish or plastics or something like yes. that. Am I on? Am I, I'm, I'm on track. Okay, so I remember that much about it. But I don't remember a whole lot about it, except I didn't like it. Yeah, and Doctor Who can do lecture. You think about John Pertwee giving one of his mankind can destroy the world and he probably will speeches, and John Pertwee can kind of do that because it's John Pertwee and he does moral outrage really mm. well. At least I think he does, and I know that some people find he, find he doesn't. That's, that's, that's okay. There is a lot of moral outrage in this about the plastic and about pollution and the rest of it, and I think that... Whereas in a lot of other episodes, I've really enjoyed Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor because of that fun, very adventurous, very easy-to-watch aspect. In the back part of this, she does start to become a lot more morally outraged and, hey, kids, this is the lesson of the episode. And I don't think she succeeds in doing that quite as well. Right. Interesting. So I've done six now. Rob, you've still got two to go. Two of mine are out there still, Dave, yes. Excellent. Well, I'll keep reading. Can you hear me? Almost, but no. The Haunting of Villa Diodati. Chippers! I thought so. <laughs> this, this one, is this another you all really liked? This is a love one, yes. Let's find out if you still love it. Yeah, I, I chose it because I've believed for the longest time that this is my favourite episode of the Whittaker era. Yeah. And now, I think it's still great. But it's been so long between viewings, I actually surprised myself at first with how long this episode goes on with just hauntings and the house changing configuration and Shelley being missing. This is a whole storyline that goes on forever before Ashad the Cyberman turns up, which was actually my main memory of the story. That's the one with Ashad. He turns up and does all this stuff. And of course, when Ashad turns up, he's not there for laughs. He he breaks necks. In, in a moment, we think he's sharing some vulnerability. He suddenly starts talking about slashing his children's throats. I mean, this is how you do a Cyberman. Obviously, he's got human qualities, which are 
related to what I'm just talking about here, like some of this dialogue he's delivering about, you know, I slash their throats, etc. But in general, I think you have to make Cybermen fearsome. You don't want to mess with a Cyberman. They're not they're not tin soldiers to be mown down in their dozens. And I think just one Cyberman comes across so well in this story. Also unrelated, the Doctor showing Shelley his death to make the Siberium think that he was dying and it needed to, to jump out of his body. That's dark as hell and it's so inspired. Oh my God, I love that. So in the end... Aside from making Byron act quite stupidly in one scene where he leaps behind a woman and wants the woman to, to shield him, I, I just don't buy Byron doing that. It, it's out of sync with how he acts elsewhere in the same episode, let alone what we know of him in real life. Like, he was a really adventurous kind of do-anything kind of guy. I think this episode is really great stuff. It was good then, it's good now. Along with that earlier episode I was mentioning that didn't have a lot of change, This this has probably the least change for me as well it's a nine out of ten still it's just great it has so much to it it's fun it's in a period house which as i always say the bbc does so well i would have loved to have seen more jody episodes like this that's that's really interesting really good did you find your knowledge of what's to come with ashard played into your viewing this time at all or you just took him as he was in the episode well again it did from the point of view that I was wondering, when does this guy turn up? <laughs> you know, I'm watching this whole episode where they, they're getting around the house, the house, they go upstairs and then they're back in the same room. You know, the house changes configuration. Where is Shelley? We don't know. Graham keeps seeing this maid and a little girl and they bring him some snacks. And then we learn at the end that they had nothing to do with the story. So were they really ghosts? You know, all of that storyline is happening. And the, the TARDIS team is split up quite nicely. All of that happens for ages before a shad turns up. Well, what feels like ages? Yeah, so it did play into my my memory a bit because I was thinking, when's this bucket showing up? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, look, we've got one more. Ascension of the Cybermen. The Timeless Children. Revolution of the Daleks. Chibbers! Great. So here we are. We're in a special now, not not an actual uh, series episode. And Revolution of the Daleks is one of my meh episodes. This is one I couldn't quite put my finger on at the time. I knew it wasn't a stinker by any stretch, but I knew I didn't really rate it like I rate some episodes. So now I'm going to say this one surprised me quite a bit. I liked nearly all of it. A few moments took me out like when Yaz and Jack have a lengthy DNM about life with the Doctor. Jack's saying to her, you've just, you've just got to grab the opportunity while it's there, you know, and all this. And it's really sweet and it's really touching and they've bonded amazingly. It's really well done. And then literally in the next scene, Yaz smashes him with a one-liner about how needy he is. And you see why it's there. You, you, you can picture a certain kind of fan at home just chortling away. Like, oh, she said he's needy and oh, isn't he needy? <laughs> but it just makes no sense. There's no way you would really bond with someone almost to the point of tears and then suddenly in the next minute just burn them with a one-liner, <laughs> you know? So that just felt out of place. And later there's a scene where Ryan, and I think I talked about this on our hot take, where Ryan gives life advice to the doctor. 
like sure this teenager who's always screwing things up is is now like gandhi all of a sudden and he's giving this this advice or he's like the dalai lama or something you know he's giving this advice to someone who's lived thousands of years and more lifetimes than he ever will just stupid but outside of that even that opening bit where the doctor hasn't bothered to break out of space jail for 20 years that didn't bother me at all and i found myself really enjoying the episode so in the end dave We've got Daleks who are properly deadly and merciless. The Chibnall death count ah! is off the charts <laughs> in this in this one. Daleks mow down <laughs> what seems like dozens of people in every other scene. And even the the by fam, you know, and I hate the, the term fam, but even the by fam moment at the end when they all put their heads together and it's shot from below. It's like that scene in The Doors where the doors have just taken drugs and they've got their heads together and they're having a moment. <laughs> it reminds yeah. me of that. It's just great. So this was a real surprise packet. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, I forget his name now, but the American character Chris Noth plays, who they've had back twice now in the series. I enjoyed all his one-liners and stuff. I thought this was really great and it's definitely not a meh episode for me anymore. Great. Yeah. Great. So look, between us, we've watched 10 episodes. Yes. Uh, look, had we sort of had eight, um, I would have watched one from Flux, and I probably would have watched something like Sea Devils. But but again, mm-hmm. look, we're approaching you know well past the hour mark of the the podcast, and that that would have added a bit too much, which is a shame. But we we have to be strict about these things. Yeah. Something that I've noticed, I think, in your description of that last episode there, the tenth we've talked about, is that the first time either of us have mentioned Yaz or Ryan. Oh. Uh, Yes, we've been talking about Graham a fair bit. We've been talking about Graham, we've been talking about the Doctor, but neither of us brought them up. And that very nicely moves into a point that I wanted to make, having watched them all. I thought that Jodie Whittaker was better than I remember, and particularly when she's having fun. She's a really engaging Doctor, and I think I, I, I think she's really good, and I think will, again, age well. Graham, we said at the time, was excellent. Bradley Walsh is very, very good. They quickly work out how to write him really, really well and write to his strengths. So both of them stood up really well. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice Yaz or Ryan much at all in any of these. Yaz occasionally gets a couple of cool moments. Ryan occasionally got a couple of nice lines. I think in Praxis he had a couple of really good lines. They were used fairly well in Kablam. Mm-hmm. But mostly they were window dressing for me. They were... They were just there. They didn't stand out. And I was not surprised about Yaz, because I think we've talked at length about Yaz being underused. I I was surprised at just how little I got out of Ryan. Not not that I disliked him, but just he didn't do a lot. Yeah, I'd I'd concur with that, actually. Now that you've raised that, I mean, again, Yaz, not a surprise, but Ryan, yeah, not not as present, at least in these episodes, as, as we thought. Yeah, and look, maybe we've done him and indeed her a bit of a disservice by the ones we picked and that's that's part of picking these you know in a semi-random kind of way but look rob i opened with some thoughts it's your turn to give us some um overarching views of the whittaker chibnall era in every case i think my rewatchers saw my opinion go up of the stories i'd picked sometimes just a little sometimes a lot Sometimes stuff that really bothered me at the time wasn't even a blip on the radar anymore. Other times stuff would happen and I'd be like, yeah, I remember hating that bit. I still hate it now. But 
overall, the episodes were better. Without watching them weekly, without being invested that this is Doctor Who right now, with my foot now off the accelerator a little, if I can put it that way, Mm. I, I enjoyed all of them more. Well, Rob, you might say, why not stop doing hot takes and do your reviews a week after the ep goes out or something like that? And no, this comes back to what I was talking about earlier. I think it's really important to do a hot take while you, you, you're still in the, the zone with the episode. You, you want to know what your thoughts were straight away. So I, I don't think that's the answer. I do think it's interesting, though, to go back after a period of time like we've done here. And in terms of the Whitaker era overall... I too, Dave, and this is not a setup, think it's going to grow in popularity. Part of me can't believe I'm saying that because I had some negative times with the era, but I think it's true. I think, well, I know I've seen it in past eras, especially when a new crop of fans come along. Look at the way newer fans came to Colin and were like, oh, wow, his costume's wild. And oh, the way he's a prick to people, that's really awesome. And he was so hard done by you know, by the BBC, this is our man. And anyone who was there at the time for the Baker era is like, what the actual F? <laughs> you know, what are these people on about? I think that's going to happen more with Whitaker's episodes too. I think it's got its own fan base now, but I think in the future, even in the Disney era in the next year or two, as new people come along and go, oh, what's this female doctor all about? They're going to watch these stories and think, this is bloody great. And they're not going to have any of the same thoughts we had about these stories. And I think that's fair because there's a solid base of genuinely good stories here. Not just the ones I reviewed, not just the ones you reviewed either. As as I deliberately chose some from the dodgier side of the tracks. But as more people come to them and don't have that pressure of it being the current era. And maybe they hear that the past generation of fans really didn't like this era and the ratings plummeted and such. You know, they're going to be like, aha! Here's something I I can love. Here's something I can champion. And hey, after watching a few episodes, I don't even have to lie. You know, I actually like this stuff. It's good. That's what I imagine people will be doing in the future. And I think it's perfectly justified by the episodes I've rewatched here and I dare say others in these three series. Yeah, look, whilst every moment of every episode I watched didn't necessarily go up, my overall enjoyment of the era certainly did and, and i don't think it's just a coming back to them in the cold take and i don't think it's just the passing of time because i think that as much as i enjoy the capaldi era it's not going to age quite as well because it is a very particular thing with a very particular taste and the matt smith era mm. which which is blessed to my liking again is a very particular thing with a very particular taste. And some people love it and some people don't. And I think both those eras will have their fans and have their detractors because they will they will work or they won't. And those doctors will work for some and not work for others. But I do think that with the Whitaker era and indeed with Jodie Whitaker's Doctor herself, there is a level of fun and accessibility and simplicity to this era that maybe we didn't appreciate or understand when we watched it the first time, but I think he's going to really lend it some favourability in the um, years to come. That's really sort of all I've got, Rob. You haven't spoken too much, though, about Whitaker's Doctor herself. Any final thoughts on her from you? You mentioned, Dave, liking her more, and I would concur that I actually liked her more in this rewatch too. Uh, You brought up 
when she's being fun. I actually enjoyed her when she was being a bit morose and sad, like okay. when she, like when she did that prayer in the Saranga conundrum, or like when they're walking along in Demons of the Punjab, knowing that rifle shot is about to go out and it goes out. Oh, and the look on her face. I liked some of the the sadder moments that she did. And I do remember that episode where she stepped out onto a ruined Gallifrey that's in an episode that neither of us watched. And she's like, oh, you know, and just the way her face fell there. So I've actually enjoyed some of her more dramatic moments, I've got to say. Interesting. Okay, well, look, we've both come at it from different perspectives and we've both approached this assignment in very different ways, but walked out with positive takes, with positive vibes. And that's... um, that's a really cool thing. Yeah, and look, I think your comparison to Smith and Capaldi, you know, without ongoing arcs, I mean, we do have this what's the timeless child, what's all that going to be about stuff going on, but outside of that, there's no what's the hybrid, what's Lady Me, who is the impossible girl, you know, all of that layered stuff, which if you went back and just watched an individual episode, and I think this is what you're probably getting at from the Capaldi era or Smith, you'd be like, whoa, what was this all about again? <laughs> You know, these are more standalone stories on the whole. Mm, And I think that serves it well. Absolutely. So, look, that's what we thought about the Jodie Whittaker, Chris Chibnall era. Chibbers, just one last time. Um, Chibbers! (laughs) um, Say his name three times, Dave. He'll come. I won't do that then. (laughs) (laughs) So, as always, look, please let us know what you thought, what you thought of our cold takes. If you have any opinions of your own, if you've gone back and watched some of these episodes off the back of the episode, would love to hear from you. One person, when they heard our plan for this episode, did send us a tweet. Our good friend, Mike (laughs) Solko. What did he have to say, Rob? Oh, you want me to read it, Dave? Okay. Well, I've got it in front of me. I'm sitting in a hotel room. (laughs) Sure. Mike Solko says, despite taking some admirable and overdue steps forward, this was the most vanilla era of who since the Davo era. (laughs) (laughs) I had to make you read that out. (laughs) And on Twitter, he then posted a gif of an explosion. And Mike, just for you, here's an explosion. Uh, So that's a tweet from Mike Socko. We have some emails though, Rob. We certainly do, Dave. I think you've got the first one. Uh, Yes, I do. It's from Baz Warrington. Hello, chaps. As I'm walking along listening to your list makers pod, always an interesting chat, I was wondering if you had the subject of top five almost companions in the hat. Those characters that popped up in a story and you would have loved to have joined the TARDIS crew. Maybe they'd have replaced one of the current crew or not. There are a lot of contenders for sure. Keep up the good work, Baz. The answer is no, we haven't got that in the hat, but we do now. (laughs) Very good. I'm looking forward to doing that when it gets pulled. Yeah, I think that's a very good topic. Thank you for suggesting it. Absolutely. I'm going to read one now from our great mate on Twitter, Pat Howe. Pat says, hello, Rob and Dave. Some thoughts for your upcoming episode on the Chibnall Whittaker era. I'm from a music background and have found over the years that there are fundamental differences in the way people listen and respond to music. For example... Some people are more drawn to structure, melody, and lyricism. Others to more sonic extremes, where conventional elements are less appealing than dissonance, noise, and abrasive textures. The former might prefer the Beatles or ABBA. The latter, Napalm Death or Lee Perry. 
This is a long-winded way of saying that I think there are similarly different motivations for television and film viewers. Some of us need strong narratives and realistic characterization. Others might be more bothered by aesthetics and sheer visual spectacle. For me, the Whitaker era has been a disappointment in aspects of the writing, especially the excess of exposition and incomplete plotting. But visually, sonically, and in the quality of the acting, I think it's been great. I think it could have been better overall, but I do value the good stuff and hope people recognise it. Please don't feel you have to read all of this. Oh, too late, Pat. I've read all of it. Um, (laughs) Just trying to articulate that as consumers, we differ in what we look for in any medium. Thanks for your continuing brilliance and entertainment. Looking forward to more Beatles and Spacefall as well from Pat. Thank you, Pat. That's a really thoughtful comment. And, And look, I think you're absolutely right. Two people can hear the same piece of music and take away very different things just in what they perceived of it, whether they liked it or not, because some things work for some and some things work for others, and that's okay. And I think that's very much the case with Doctor Who as well, a really good analogy. Yeah, I really loved uh, the examples there. Yeah. Uh, I have one from David Harmsworth. Hi, guys. Much as I'm a big fan of the main podcast too, I do have a soft spot for the list makers, and this month's instalment definitely delivered. Thanks for sharing such personal moments and memories, which I'm sure will have resonated with many of your listeners, even if their own key moments are from different times or eras. It certainly got me thinking about mine, whether it's the first time I saw The Five Doctors on original broadcast and the wow factor of it being my first multi-doctor story, or when my best mate from school and I went to the Doctor Who exhibition at Longleat, so many props and costumes and monsters up close on display, it blew my mind, even if one of them was Fifi from The Happiness Patrol. (laughs) I also have very fond memories of sitting in our local library, sifting through card after card on their microfiche reader, looking for target books on non-fiction Who books that they could order in for me, and the thrill of finding something new. Speaking of libraries, I'm sure Mark Douglas will be really chuffed when he hears the last of your picks. I'm looking forward to his reaction. I should jump in here and say David and Mark are mates over in the UK. (laughs) That's right, yes. My other short topic is that I'm typing this from home, not hospital. Yay! Chemo, yeah, good news. Chemo is still ongoing and the road ahead remains very uncertain, but I'm a lot better day to day at the moment. So the hospital team is happy for me to stay home as long as I stay out of trouble. Amongst other things, hopefully this means I will see Mark in person soon. Best wishes to you both. Look forward to the next edition of the main podcast in due course. David, very positive email there in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And as Robocop would say, stay out of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what he says in the first film. I'll have to look that up now. (laughs) Stay out of trouble. (laughs) Uh, We have one more from you, Rob. Ah, yes. Okay. I'm going to read from our longtime correspondent, Dave Young. Dear Rob and Dave, long time since I wrote, but inspired by your List Makers episode on Who Memories, it got me thinking as a longtime viewer and lover of the program, What were my top five memories? Number one, getting a Dalek birthday cake for my sixth birthday, which my parents had had made especially by a family friend. Dalek mania was still at its height. Number two, running a Doctor Who club at my school and one of the pupils announcing he knew Mike Tucker, who we then invited in to do a talk to the club. 
He arrived and was fantastic, bringing with him videos of how some effects in Season 1 were produced, and also the original K-9, which had just featured in School Reunion. So I can proudly say that K-9 sat on my desk. Number, th- wow. yeah. Number three, my wife, on first meeting me and seeing my large Who collection and thinking, oh no, he's got a hobby. But seeing above that, and now, if not a great fan, she'll still watch the show and allow me my indulgent purchases, even if I'm now buying the same stories for the third time, just in a different format. One of the many reasons I love her so much. She has spotted, however, that when I get theatre tickets, the show often features ex-doctors or companions, and wonders whether this is the sole reason for going. Number four, seeing how the program lends itself to generation upon generation and from culture to culture. I currently have four Ukrainian students in my form class who are regular attendees at my latest Who Club, and they love it. One of them wrote his first extended piece of writing the other week in English, and of course, it involved time travel and a strange blue box. There was also, of course, Oliver, who I've written to you about before, whose world was opened up by the program. He is flourishing at his new school. Number five, the night that the first Eccleston was due to screen on the BBC and trying desperately to tire out my then two-year-old daughter so she would be asleep by the time it started. Then, when she was flagging, my wife taking over bedtime duties while I raced out to collect the takeaway meal before settling down to see its glorious return. Still loving the show and long may it continue. Best wishes from Dave Young. That's a really good email there. Thank you for sending that in, Dave. And uh, your comment about your now wife first seeing your collection for the first time reminded me of a scene in the movie I mentioned last month, in fact. Um, spoiler alert, where there is a moment where one of the characters goes back to the other's apartment for the first time. Whilst it wasn't Doctor Who per se, it was a moment I think a lot of Doctor Who fans could definitely relate to. I'll just say that. Isn't there a Queer as Folk moment where he goes back to the house and sees... Daleks or something? Am I misremembering? There is a moment where one of them takes someone back to his place thinking they're going to hook up, and when this guy sees he has a copy of Genesis of the Daleks. That's what it is. <laughs> wants to watch, watch that instead, yes. Brilliant, brilliant. And also, can I just say, wouldn't it have been great to have a teacher like Dave Young at your school? Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, look, Rob, we've been watching a lot of the Jodie Whittaker era of Doctor Who. What else have you been watching in the last month? Dave, I've just been continuing with The Mandalorian and Picard. They're still my two mains at the moment. Both have delivered great episodes, I think, while some people on the internet are like, oh my god, this is awful, what are these shows doing? Star Wars is dead. Sometimes I can see where people like that are coming from when they say stuff like that, but I think both series this time around have been fine in their current runs. And I look forward to doing alternate Galaxies episodes on them. Yeah, look, I've been watching them both as well, and I'll save my comments for uh, inevitable alternate Galaxies. A couple of other things I've been watching. I did have to get a subscription to the Stan streaming service for a month so I could watch the Jodie Whittaker era, <laughs> which meant that there were a couple of other things that I was able to watch as well. One was the series Wolf Hall, which a lot of people have been telling me I need to watch and I have wanted to watch, but I haven't had the right streaming service for a while. And I did watch that. It's a story set during Tudor times, but written from the perspective of Thomas Cromwell, who is 
an advisor first to Cardinal Wolsey and then to Henry VIII. And so he works with Catherine of Aragon, he works with Anne Bullen. Mm-hmm. And it was extremely well done. It's got a phenomenal cast, many of them people who weren't as big a deal when this was made as they are now. Um, oh. People like um, Tom Holland, people like Thomas Sankster, people like Claire Foy, who has, of course, gone on to be in The Crown, and indeed Mark Rylance, who was a fairly big actor at the time, but I think he's an even bigger actor now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like a really, really stunning cast. It's, it's very well done. Look, I, I, I'm a big student of the Tudor era, so I did enjoy that. And I also have dipped in on Amazon to Hunters Season 1, another show that a lot of people have been saying I will really enjoy, and they're absolutely right. It is a show set in the 70s based in New York about a group of Jewish Nazi hunters. Oh. And it is one of those written for streaming services where they know they don't need to worry about the rating and they don't need to worry about being censored or cut, so they kind of go for it and it's got its moments of real graphic violence and it opens with a pretty full-on scene, in fact. And so it uh, it is quite fun. It is quite enjoyable. Are they hunting modern Nazis or are they back in the 60s looking for guys in South America? So they're, they're, they're in the 70s looking for people who have assimilated into American culture. Into American culture, okay. And 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 look, I don't think I'm giving away a spoiler to say that it does delve into some of those people who uh, maybe were brought across by the American government for various reasons. So uh, uh, there, there are, in fact, a couple of moments where it does actually just put on screen, yes, folks, this really happened. Hello, NASA, if you're listening. Uh, yes, <laughs> there are. there is, in fact, an episode set in Florida. Um, there you go. There yeah, you go. I'm familiar so, with that era of history. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, look, I, I thought that was um, I thought that was a really fun show, and I would have gone on to watch season two, but I had to watch some Jody episodes. Not that I'm complaining. Very good. Next time, Rob, what are we doing? Next time, Dave, we threw out a vote uh, earlier this month on Twitter because we were looking for a missing adventure to read. We need time to read it for next month's show. Yes. And uh, we threw out four names. I won't go through them, but the winner was The Shadow of Wang Chiang by uh, David McKinty. And so we'll be reading that and then telling you all about it and our thoughts about it on next month's show. Yes, and this was another example where we each put forward two nominations without coordinating. As a result, there were two David A. McGinty stories that we could have picked from, which I think just shows how well regarded he is. But yes, we will be and reading... And none of them were the dark path. And none of them were the dark path, no. No, I think we both tried to pick some less obvious ones, which I think is good. I did, yeah. Um, no, I'm really looking forward to reading that one. And uh, look, when we get to the episode next time, we will give a bit of a plot summary. So if you haven't got a copy or you haven't had time to read it, we will make sure you know the story. We won't just talk about it out of context. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm looking forward to that as always. But look, I've got to say, Rob, I've found this a really fun episode to make and i found the rewatching of the jody whittaker era just a really uplifting thing i'm 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 always happy when i enjoy doctor who oh absolutely and through the whittaker era i did enjoy stories from time to time like really enjoy them genuinely enjoy them but this time around finding that my appreciation was going up even of episodes that i i didn't think i liked was a really positive thing for me so i'm so happy we did this this time Yeah, me too, me too. So look, on that positive note, I've been Dave. And I've been Rob. And we will speak again soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to... The Doctor Who 
show with Rob and Dave. Find us online by searching for The Doctor Who Show. We also love it when you write in. Drop us a line anytime at hello at the dwshow.net. <laughs>